everyone. Welcome back to Speak Up, Speak Out. Today, we are excited to welcome Sion Garamo to our show. So, Sion, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. Thank you for asking. I'm glad. So, we're just going to jump right in. And Nayantara, take it away. Yeah. So, as Olivia said, let's jump right in. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, my name is Sion. Um, I am 18. Um, I'm a senior at Portland Christian. Um, I've been in the U.S. for um, about 17, almost 17 years, um, coming up in February. Um, and I have a younger sister, 14 years apart. Um, and yeah. Perfect. So you mentioned that you moved to America when you were quite young. Do you know like the circumstances that led you and like your family to move to the U.S.? Yeah, basically the way it came or happened was um, through a diversity lottery. Um, so about several several million people apply each year, but about 50,000 are chosen and it's like random. So my mom was chosen. So kind of went through like an interview process, um, but I wasn't born most of the time um, for majority of that process. Kind of later on at the end when my name was added to the pile um, a- along with my dad and my mom, of course. I see. And can you let our listeners know which country your mom was in when she applied for this lottery? Yeah, um, me and my family are from Ethiopia. Okay, I see. So when you when your parents found out that they got this opportunity, how did they end up coming to the U.S.? From their stories, basically what they said was it was probably a surprising story, um, mainly because my mom didn't think the chances were happening. She just kind of like they didn't even have set signatures because there wasn't really much to sign. So my mom just made up a signature um, and like she sent in the paperwork. But when she had the like letter back that she was like, oh, maybe possibly like advanced to like a different round. My mom and her, uh, my dad started like practicing their hand signatures, basically, since they knew they were going to be tested. Yeah, I think it was very, basically a lot of things ha- were sold um, to come here. But we had a uh, my uncle lived here about a couple years around that time um, as a refugee. So we were also able to get some help in terms of him coming here um, and getting a sponsor as well. Okay, thank you for sharing that. So was your placement in Portland um, random or did your parents have like a say in it because you mentioned that your uncle was living here? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, my uncle lived in Portland. Um, yeah, I don't know how they ended up coming here, but since we basically since 04 so so language is often a really big barrier when um, immigrants and refugees arrive in the U.S. was language a barrier for your parents yeah I remember my dad telling me because he thought he knew English but really when he came here it's like this is not the English that like I learned in school Um, and also kind of the American accent kind of had a big effect on that and also learning British English, that's kind of the curriculum back home. Um, and so even when I interact with some of my family members, I'll hear some words, I'll be like, um, that's not the English that I know of. So did you um, end up growing up in a multilingual household? Yeah, basically, um, I know Oromo, I can speak Oromo, uh, which is one of the languages of Ethiopia, but some of my family have been raised in different regions, so different languages are spoken. Um, when I first came to the U.S., I knew both Oromo um, 
and Amharic, but as time went on, as I learned English, I kind of forgot Amharic because it's not um, a big family uh, language. Um, it's the national language of Ethiopia, but it wasn't our tribe's language, so it wasn't um, something that we had around in our house that much. Um, but since uh, my grandpa lives with us as well, I mean, he was raised in that region. I, I can I can understand and speak back to him in Oromo, luckily, because he knows that. But without without the those two languages, it'd be kind of difficult. OK, you kind of talked about this already with um, speaking to your to your family in uh, their native language. But how has language um, affected your interactions with family, but then also people here in the U.S.? With family, I think um, I went back home when I was about 12 um, for the second time. And around that time, Oromo was something I understood, but making up the words to speak was actually quite difficult for me. And so for about a month, I was there for about a month and a half and really just trying to learn the language um, over again was kind of frustrating just because it's like, why did I lose it in the first place? Um, even though, you know, I was trying to learn English, so there was that excuse, but still, you know, um, so it was kind of frustrating. Um, but, you know, I had family, some family knew English, and so that was good as well. But being in the U.S., um, I go to a private school, so I, oftentimes I get asked, like, oh, my gosh, you speak African, or I speak a African language, but sometimes education or, like, educating them um, as well. Sometimes it's difficult, but, um, you know, you do what you have to do sometimes. So, Yeah, definitely to like clear up the misunderstanding. So do you ever feel like you have to code switch between your, not just your language, but like your family culture and the culture that's around you, like outside of your home? I would say I do sometimes. Um, I'm a generally quiet person. And so I think sometimes that also comes quite weird to some people that I inter interact with. Like I often get like, oh my gosh, you're so quiet. I didn't expect that out of you. Um, maybe I guess the perceptions of maybe what it is to be black or what it is to be African is loud. And so oftentimes they don't see that. And so sometimes like I have to like change a little bit, be a little bit louder, a little bit more like up there um, in terms of like how I speak or how loud I am, uh, just because that's kind of what they expect. And so Sometimes, you know, I'll be like, I'm, you know, be myself. But and also I just change the way I speak, even in some cases when I'm at school um, with my friends or even at home. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That that makes complete sense. So now that you've been living in the U.S. for, I guess, the majority of your life, you've probably had a pretty wide range of experiences. So can you tell us about a time when you felt um, like you were not included in your community? Ooh. I think I, I always go back to school, you know, um, mainly because it's I, I go to a pretty small school as well. And so um, a lot of the way they were raised being in public uh, private school since the beginning, I didn't have that experience. And so, you know, having that, you know, privilege to go to be able to attend private school, what I kind of noticed was um, a lot of them just like had these weren't even most of them were from America or at least several um, generations. And so most of the time I wouldn't be even able to like kind of relate to anybody. Um, and really, since it was so small, it was like, oh, if you're if you're by yourself, you, you are by yourself and you can't really 
like in bigger schools when I were when, when I was in like public school I could be by myself and I could be alone but here it was just like no and also the usual like oh tell me a little bit more about your culture or which is fine but um kind of getting the stares and just often like questions that shouldn't really be asked even like the typical history class questions yeah i definitely agree with you that like this tokenization is really prevalent and like oftentimes it just comes through in implicit ways and um yeah not necessarily explicit but it's still there all the same so do you feel like you've often been singled out for your identity inside and outside of school simply because of the fact that you are a person of color or the fact that you are an immigrant? Yeah, um, I think so, mainly because even though I've been in the U.S. for basically almost all my life, there's still some things I do not understand, just like some cultural things that I may not get. And some people be like, oh, you don't know about that? I'm like, no, you know, just because I have been in the U.S., um, where I live in terms of like in my household, those things are not there. I don't learn about those things. And even when I went back home, it sometimes I was so surprised that they just looked at me um, and they were like, oh yeah, you're, you're from America. You're not from here. I said, I just look like y'all. Like, what do you mean? Um, but it was kind of quite interesting how um, both being in the U.S. and being back home as well, how quite easy it is for them to pick um me out as like an outsider. Yeah, let's talk a little bit more about your return home to Ethiopia. You said that you were 12 years old when you Mm -hmm. went back for the first time. Can you describe like the experience of going back to a country that others label you as being from and where you were born, but then as you talked about feeling like an outsider sometimes? Mm -hmm. That was the second time. The first time I was was four, so that was so long ago. that I have very little memory of. But the second time, it was it was quite interesting, you know, even though I felt like an outsider, I still felt at home. Like it was definitely not the, those like experiences that I had uh, just like felt even, um, I felt much more at home in the US and in, in Ethiopia than even in the US. It was quite interesting, um, mainly because I haven't seen most of these family members in eight years, um, even if I remember you. Um, it's probably through a video call that I've seen you once or twice um, in the last like 12, eight years. And so it was just a very interesting experience being able to see kind of, you know, where I'm from. And also there was definitely a culture shock going there and even coming back as well. Like I was I was getting used to life there because I was there for about a month and a half. And so coming back as well, I was like, no, um, this is so weird again. But I definitely, definitely did enjoy it kind of shaped a lot of how I went into high school as well yeah for sure how would you how would you describe the differences between the sense of community you feel in the U.S. and how you felt when you went to Ethiopia I feel like the U.S. is quite like um you focus on your individual but really going back home you know the the common phrase of it takes a village like I kind of I really actually saw that um in action um really just how everybody was connected um, I went through, like, saw so many family members that in the U.S. you wouldn't consider a family member in the sense that it was a much more distant, um, maybe like a f- second cousin or um, something around those uh, lines. But it was really like people are connected. Um, even if there was issues like going on through family, like 
people were still connected. There was, you know, I will help you with your family, watching your kids until you go to work. Um, here, you know, it's kind of like a babysitter and whatnot. But, you know, there's so many family members there as well that, you know, it's much easier to have people around, even compared to here where community, for me, when I see my community, Ethiopian African community, I see it really through church or through gatherings a couple times a year, really. I see. So are you basically saying that like in America, it feels more individualistic, whereas it was more collective in Ethiopia? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Speaking of community, what was the time when you like really felt included in the U.S.? Like you didn't feel like the differences were preventing you from being included? At church specifically, because it's an Ethiopian church, specifically, or mainly speaks Oromo. Um, and so really those people kind of could relate to my situations at school. Um, there were youth that were basically my age. And so we could always talk about like, oh, you know, this is what I've been going through. Um, and you also can relate. Um, and I think outside of that, when it's like, um, outside of my like immediate, you know, Ethiopian community, I would say like my NYC Maloma Youth Commission community as well. Um, I think just the message of, you know, understanding like um, understanding and really up also uplifting youth voice was something very important to me. So um, even though our experiences all, all weren't the same, there was a there was a common goal there as well. So that was also quite unifying for me. Yeah, and you've talked a little bit about feeling othered, I guess, in school and in the U.S. Was there ever a specific time when you felt like you are different from other people? Or is it something that you feel like you've internalized growing up? Can you just talk about that a little bit? I would say both. I think part of it is just internalizing it, even when I don't um, necessarily am being like directly told, no, you are not um, American or you are not this or that in terms of like the ideal um, American standard. Uh, I think a lot of it has been internalized. I think most of it was probably in the beginning um, of starting high school or of just starting school in general because I didn't speak English when I first started school um, in preschool and whatnot. So I think definitely when I felt othered was probably um, like being taken out for ELD and learning e, um, ELS or ESL. There's so many names for it now, but acronyms for it now. But when I was taken out of class um, to like learn more English um, or sometimes it wasn't even taken out of class. It was just brought to the side. Um, and I think those, I still vividly remember those. And so I think that um, started a whole several years of internalizing it as well. Mm -hmm. I see. So now we're going to switch the topic a little bit to something that's more current. As many people probably know, we've been in the middle of a global pandemic for nearly a year now. And we'd like to know how the current event has changed your life and uh, your perspective about different aspects of your life. Yeah, um, I think I have actually, to much people, to different than most people, but I've actually... I've been very thankful for this, um, like, shutdown, not corona itself, but just the shutdown, um, mainly because I've been at home. I had a difficult junior year. Most of the people that were in, like, my small friend group ended up leaving the year before, so I had a very difficult time. Um, and so for me, having school closed was very much like a, yay, this is, like, a time where I can, you know, be with my family, but also 
um, because of the big difference in my a- my age be- between me and my sister, I knew like after this year, probably it wouldn't be the same anyways, just because I'll probably be off to college. And for, you know, in my background, family is such a big thing. And so, because I saw like being back home, how much family was even more important than I even ever thought. Um, and so really making sure that like I spend quality time with my sister. I've definitely been thankful, um, even though it doesn't, it's been difficult in terms of maybe like work for my family and things like that. But um, I've definitely had a lot to be thankful for, even despite it all. That's really sweet to hear about you and your sister. So you mentioned that maybe stuff has been a little bit rough for your family at work. Can you talk about that a little bit more? Mm-hmm. Basically, it's just like the schedule. The The nice thing is um, I'm at home. And so my parents can go to work even when they have to. I think bef- if like school wasn't like shut down in the sense, I wouldn't be home with my sister to even watch her and take care of her while my family goes out for work. And so kind of the nice thing is, or because it's difficult for them to, you know, not have someone around during regular times when I did go to school, the nice part was even though they did have to go to work more often, I was able to be home. So there was a balance in that. Has the pandemic revived any like family traditions? Kind of, I think the pandemic kind of accident did the opposite, really. Like most of the traditions that we would do once in a while kind of was like, well, there's not, we can't really bring family around like that. So it's just been, I think, definitely helped be um, more tight knit as a family, I would say. Yeah, for sure. Another current event has been the election, which uh, the election of 2020, arguably one of the most important or significant in U.S. history. What What is your reaction to the election and the outcome of the election? It was the first time I was able to vote, so it was definitely an interesting process. I was, like, barely there, like, by, like, I think the due date was, like, four days after my birthday um, to register, wow. so it was kind of nice. But I would say I was, I would, I don't know if I was surprised. I would, I was not going to be surprised if it went either way. Um, since it's 2020, I'm still like, I don't believe it until I see Inauguration Day, just because of how much 2020 has been quite interesting and very like um, difficult in terms of like so many surprising things coming our way, like voting process, just like reading, um, not even for like the presidential election, but just like even just like looking at my local, who am I voting for on my local level? Um, it was a lot of reading and a lot of like, I'm definitely like didn't expect this um, to be almost as difficult as like, or even as time consuming as um, I thought it would be. But luckily, since I'm not, you know, an adult in the sense that I don't have like um, jobs or like bills and things like that to pay, I don't have all those things that can keep me away from actually fully reading um, everything. Yeah, so basically you're encouraging young voters to get educated and go out to vote. Yeah, nice. This summer, the events that happened, including protests and um, the killings of too many Black individuals, did that affect like your outlook on justice and activism? Before that, I knew, I obviously knew um, things like that happened, but I think I don't, from one simple, like, 
um, it's not a simple act, but from, you know, just even from one simple death, just how quick it was and how I ended up, I was like, I'm already so tired of this, you know, a while until like this past summer, I just felt tired. Like I just, I think a lot of it was internalized from years before and having it be brought up, I was like, oh, I'm, I'm actually am tired. And so um, that definitely, I don't know if it would have affected the way if it affected the way um, I voted, because I think I was already thinking about that, but I don't think it, it would have, all the emotions would have been brought up um, the same way it was probably this like summer in, into the election um, and the whole voting process. There was a lot of emotion into it as well that I don't think I would have had um, if it wasn't for the events in the summer. Yeah, for sure. I think a lot of people um, definitely feel that way. So now looking to the future, what are some of the goals that you have, both short-term and long-term? Short-term, really, really short-term is probably enjoying the rest of my, like, year and just being at home um, and then going to college. You know, I'm still, I have a major maybe, but I think it's still up in the air for sure. You know, people often change their college majors, so we'll see. But I think also maybe more of a long-term, probably go back home um, again not just to visit, but really to see kind of like where where I can fit in terms of what I can do, whether that is like helping out the healthcare route or helping out the law or like government type of route. Nice. You've told us a few different stories on the show today. Is there a message that you would like for um, people who are listening to your stories to take away? Oh, I would just say, I think 2020 has also shown it, but really kind of be quite grateful for what you have. I think when I went back home, I I was grateful for what I had here, but how much value what I had was like, there's a lot of people out there who would die to have your place, literally. And so I really took that kind of how I've, you know, um, went through these last couple of years, probably like have time to reflect, I think, as well, and just really um, understanding like your identity may not be the usual for a lot of people, but uh, understanding there's a lot of people who also go through that struggle as well. And there's communities out there that are able to, you know, really help you out um, if you don't feel like your school is quite open. Um, since, you know, Portland is quite white and history of like exclusion laws and all the recent things even now that are happening. So they're just knowing that there are, there are people out there who are very much willing to help you, um, even though it may be difficult to find, since we're just a, quite a small portion in Portland. Those are great messages. Thank you for sharing everything. Sion, thank you for joining us on Speak Up, Speak Out today. We really enjoyed having you and have a great rest of your day. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. Thanks to our viewers, supporters of Year, and everyone who helped us create this episode of Speak Up, Speak Out. Special thanks to Sion Garamo and Wilson Fidiner. This podcast is made possible by a grant received by Nayantara Aurora from the Stevens Initiative through World Learning. Thanks to all the year members who helped with this podcast. Kylie Hurst, Olivia Kalm, Nayantara Aurora, Shimon Dasgupta, Maisha Hoke. This episode was edited by Nayantara Aurora. See you next time.